when someone comes to me or when I see that they're struggling, I don't sit there and be like, oh, hey, Jordan, you just got to be a little happy. Be more positive. You know, just just set your goals and just achieve them. I'm not that kind of a rah-rah person, so maybe that's partly why I can't do that. Uh, but I do say, hey, Jordan, that really sucks. I know it is so tough right now. You got this person threatening us with a lawsuit through no fault of your own. You had this happen, and I'm sorry about that thing in your personal life. Man, life can really suck sometimes. What can I do to help? What can we do to help you move forward? And that, A, that goes back to letting them know that we care. It lets them know I'm not trying to help them be the happiest person. I'm trying to help them feel good about moving forward. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. We Sun Tzu, the art of war. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Welcome, closers, to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. Today, I have Matthew Tandy with Formatic on the show. Matt, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you having me on, Jordan. Matt, I want to hear some baseline stats about your business just so that listeners can kind of frame and tee up where you're at, what market, how many units, what asset classes, et cetera. You bet. So we have uh, multiple offices. We have uh, three in Southern California, in Riverside, uh, Whittier, which is right at the edge of LA and Orange County, right between downtown LA and Disneyland. Uh, so the two important downtowns on the West Coast. And then we have one in a mountain community, which is very different. It's uh, in a city called Big Bear, uh, population about uh, 20, 30,000. And it's from my Riverside office to my Big Bear office. It's a 7,000 foot elevation change in one hour. Mm. Uh, and then we have an office in Mexico City, Mexico, that does actual management and uh, short, and of course, supplies our remote workers. And we also do some asset management for 150 units in North Carolina. So all in all, with our asset management class, we have about 600 units right now. Got it. And so the bulk of that is in California, though? Bulk of it's in California. Got it. So what's your background? How do you get into the property management game? You know, I grew up just really, really wanting to be a property. Ma- I'm just kidding. I uh, <laughs> you were the one exception to the rule. I doubt it. No, definitely <laughs> What's the real not. story. I grew up wanting to be a quantum physicist, and then I went to school as a, and did a history degree in uh, ancient Near Eastern studies and biblical Hebrew. Uh, and there's so much money in that job that I decided, you know what? I'm going to live like a pauper. I'm going to go <laughs> in real estate. Uh, so what actually happened is while I was in uh, going to college is uh, I was working three quarters time for Dell doing tech support for the big businesses. Uh, and a and then that job was going away. It was a contract job. It was leaving. I was looking for something different. Uh, and I had my wife and I had bought our first home. It was an up down duplex. This is in Provo, Utah, near uh, near the universities there. And, uh, you know, it's that great first time investor kind of deal, right? You have a, you live in the top floor and you rent out the basement. The basement was probably not legal. If I was to be approached to manage this, I probably would say, I'm sorry, I can't do that because the ceilings in some parts felt really low to me and I'm only five foot five. Uh, in fact, we did rent to someone who, who, where the husband was like six foot three and uh, he had to duck in parts of the, wow. <laughs> parts of it. Wow. 
so, but it was a great experience. We learned a lot. And then here we are a year later. Uh, and uh, I'm looking for something different. I was being a really bad first time investor. I obviously thought I was really expert at it. And I thought, hey, I'd like to learn more. I was looking at them. And then a friend of mine uh, who I lived with in Australia had, uh, he had a friend of a friend who was uh, starting a management company. I uh, had started it three days before. He wanted someone to do it with. So I was uh, brought in for that. And uh, we started him and I uh, from a little room of a closet in a kind of a Regis uh, space to uh, 14 offices, 11 states, 3,500 homes under management uh, from 2009 uh, to 2015 before I sold uh, my shares and launched out with Formatic. And uh, launched out with Formatic just to do something a little more uh, tech forward, a little more people forward, and uh, just uh, a lot more flexible of a company. So that six-year story arc that you had with that other company, what were the takeaways? What did you get out of that? What lessons did you carry forward that you felt like enabled you to do what you're doing now? So there's there's several. Um, the experience itself was not fantastic in many ways. Uh, the person who uh, who officially founded the company uh, was not a leader as any of us would usually define it. More of a boss uh, would yell constantly if you made a mistake, if he felt something was wrong, uh, it involved being screamed at or him screaming at someone uh, who would then come cry to, to me or someone else uh, you know, in tears. And he'd scream at them for hours. Not like, oh, I'm just really angry. It'd be hours and threatening and all sorts of things. So that really defined for me over time what it means to be a leader, what it means to, to go and to be compassionate, to motivate people in a way that lifts them up. And so that led to me actually starting to read a lot of business books because before then I didn't, right? I read history books and science books. Uh, but going through that experience is what led me to say, you know, what could be done better? And that's how I was able to do compare and contrast. Now that said, I learned an extensive amount in property management itself. We were seat of our pants, definitely weren't following a lot of regulations. Uh, I would probably turn myself in <laughs> from my, two, my uh, 2022 versus my 2009 self. Uh, weren't using proper licenses a lot of times until later on as we figured things out. Um, and that taught me the value of research and not going in completely blind. Uh, and then of course, the big factor though, is just dealing with crap, right? We took on anything, anything. And we would do it for the lowest price it took, whatever it took to win it. And Jordan, I see your mouth tweaking. You're like, oh. If it had a roof, you'd manage it. That, that's, it didn't even necessarily need a roof initially. <laughs> you know, we could work with that. Uh, so we would take on properties that should have been getting, during that time, should have been getting maybe a, uh, at 10 plex that should have been getting $75 a door minimum. Uh, and to win the deal, we'd end up at $40 a door. And these were C, they, they wished they could be C class properties. 
I mean, we would be out there multiple times a week with the police and the plainclothes detectives, and there'd be chop shops. I went to one that we signed, and you go out there, and it's just nasty parking lot, oil things, and someone's growing a garden in the oil-stained soil, and they have a cage over there with a nasty kiddie pool in it, and it has ducks and geese in it and chickens. Mm. And there's roaches spilling out where the rats are running around at daylight and there's cords running from the laundry room for two, three of the units because the residents are stealing the power from there. That's kind of what we managed. And on the plus side, hey, I learned how to deal with a lot of diverse situations. It is the foundation of where I gain my legal knowledge that I have now. And this is why I read all the laws and know the limits uh, because believe it or not, people in those situations they actually really know their rights really, really well. Uh, and so you had to start to learn to counter that. So that said, there are great people uh, in the company. There still are great people at that company. And, uh, and I just learned the value of what good management is. And importantly, I learned to really love a true housing provider instead of just, oh, that's a landlord. And that really helped me when I started Formatic to say, yep, this is my ideal client. So what excites you about the vision of Formatic? You talked about <clears throat> some of the contrast and hearing what you're hoping to do, but the spirit, the ethos, the essence of it, what, what mm, values or ideals excite you in your vision about building Formatic? Mm. So there's a couple parts. Uh, number one, I'll say are in ethos, uh, we have a primary rule and it defines everything we do. I've been told I need to come up with a happy way of saying it that's more positive sounding, but I think this gets to the heart of it, and it's no jerks. I have a strict no jerk policy. No jerks in the company. Anyone yells at each other, at, at people, uh, whether it's they're yelling at other staff or, uh, or residents or housing partners, uh, or if it's property owners who are yelling and can't ask a question without accusing, mm. uh, or residents, mm. although we're, we're in California, so there's a limit to what you can do with, uh, with mean residents, right? But generally speaking, uh, whenever possible, if we'll educate first, we'll help try to bring them around, and if they don't, then we just let them go. Uh, and our policies, our, our agreements with our clients are written in that way and with our staff. Uh, so again, education, and then if they can't, then it's just not worth it, Jordan. I mean, life is short. There's no need to stick around in a bad relationship, an unhealthy relationship. Uh, now, in the vision of Formatic, the goal is by the end, and there's multiple steps of everything, but the end of decade vision is to have 100 U.S. offices, 25 international. Uh, that was the goal from the day I started it in 2015. And we have about 18 ancillary companies we're building around it. I look at management as the goose that lays the golden eggs. Uh, and so if you keep feeding it and you keep it very healthy, then it keeps laying these eggs that they can later hatch into their own uh, golden geese. And long term, the whole point of everything I'm doing, uh, the vision, is to build a company that lasts generations. And I recognize that sounds pretentious on some level. Uh, but I would, although I won't be around to know it, I would like to think that what we build will be around in 100, in 200 years. Mm -hmm. And the reason why, it's not an ego thing, because frankly, I, I'm not an ego person. I really don't care about that stuff. I don't care about uh, a lot of publicity or being front and center. 
I'm really a data nerd. I mean, look, I want to be a quantum physicist or a historian, right? Those aren't exactly people forward businesses uh, or <laughs> businesses. Uh, professions. Professions. So the, the big thing is that I grew up in extreme poverty and it was really rough. And I don't want that to be for my children. So first objective, of course, is to provide for my family and provide for them well. Uh, and I don't mean that they get like a Rolls Royce when they're 16 or anything like that, but make sure that they have, they can have three square meals a day, that they can, if they want to participate in an activity that they can. After taking care of family, I believe strongly in taking care of your, of your entire business and community. And of course, I'm sure you've read the book, uh, Eaters Eat, uh, Leaders Eat Last. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I'm a big believer in that. So I'm not building the company to build wealth. But my wife also grew up in poverty. Uh, she lived 10 years, uh, basically the last 10 years of her teenage life, in a fifth wheel, which is smaller than a trailer home, with her mom and dad and her brother. Uh, and so we don't need mansions. We don't need big cars. And so that brings people to say, well, why are you doing this then? Because we had been the victims uh, or our parents have been the victims of employers in situations where they're treated as less, where the boss ate first and feasted, uh, where the, the staff were left to struggle. Um, and they were, and if things got tight, then the only person, there was no belt tightening of the person up top. It was just cut people, cut people because, hey, that's what they're there for. So the goal then is to create a uh, company that has all the full benefits uh, and that pays above uh, industry standards. And I know that with Profit Coach and others in the industry, we talk about things about uh, labor ratios. Uh, I'm okay with mine not being the lowest uh, because again, I'm not trying to become the wealthiest person. I'm trying to provide a good living for the future and for future generations, but for now. It starts now, Jordan. Uh, and then finally is to do things for humanity. Uh, we're working into everything that we do that uh, when I pass away or when I leave the company or things like that, that certain ratios of uh, net profit have to be used for causes that I believe in. And I'm not building Formatic or any of the companies to be a uh, pass down to my kids thing at all. Uh, if they want to get in there, they have to work from the bottom. Uh, but the goal is that they, is that, let's say that my descendants have uh, solved a good chunk of shares of the company sitting in a family bank, family trust. And one of them turns out to be a total jerk. It's possible, right? You know, you don't know sure. what your kids or grandkids are going to be. Uh, we're setting things up so that the causes that we believe are important and uh, which mainly focus around humanitarian purposes, uh, medical purposes, uh, research, things like that, uh, that any jerk grandkid cannot, <laughs> cannot move that money uh, that everyone's taking care of. So it's a, uh, I'm a <clears throat> secular humanist, so it's about taking care of as many people as possible. You know, there's an interesting intersection and dichotomy between altruism, helping people out, doing right by your fellow man, and commercial intents. And at times, these things can be perceived as being pitted against one another. And certainly there are examples where that feels pretty explicitly true, that the, the one pulls uh, and pushes against the other. By contrast, there's a lot of concepts that come out, come off as people first, altruistic, that 
in my mind, there's pretty strong evidence that it has a direct bottom line impact in a positive direction. If you weren't describing and couching what you're talking about in an altruistic, secular humanist benefiting your fellow man, if you were talking about it in a uh, bottom line business impact, what is the lens or the way that you would view those same activities and how they affect the, the, the bottom line of the business? I, right now, as a company, it's still about the foundations, right? At 600 doors, we're not, we're not a big company by today's standards. Uh, now, we're, we've established we're going to be growing very rapidly uh, here in the next couple of years uh, because we've been building the systems. But the thing is, is that that means that right now, there's a lot more pressure. There's a lot more shifting as we adapt and figure out, okay, does this work in multiple locations? Does that work? And that means that while I talk about taking care of staff, uh, and I do take care of them. That means that sometimes things get jostled around a little bit. Uh, and because we put them first and we're constantly telling them, look, I noticed you sent me an email at seven o'clock last night. Please don't do that. Not that I care. I mean, I'm working sometimes till midnight if I have to, uh, but I don't want them to. And what that does is when there are really tough times, and there have been, we had, unfortunately, an experience that many people in business have where we had a bookkeeper who mm. didn't take care of the books properly, didn't steal, but messed them up so badly, but was very good at making up fake documents to hide it because they thought they'd always come back and fix it later, messed them up so badly that we misplaced $30,000 that was sitting in account, but since we couldn't handle it, the DRE said we had to put money in, uh, Department of Real Estate. And that led to a lot of belt tightening, uh, first to to my family. Uh, before we cut anyone's hours or anything like that or pay, we cut our pay uh, significantly. Uh, and then that led to some having to work long hours and led to, to me not being able to do other things. That led to our staff having to do other things, our property coordinators, which is what we call property managers, uh, having to do more work. And it was, it was rough for them at first. But in the end, they, they knew we cared for them because we had shown we cared before the hard times. And so what did that do to my bottom line is that it meant that we were able to keep pushing forward. We didn't have staff changes because of it. Everyone was extremely loyal and everyone, you know, pitched in. And so long term bottom line, that means that we were able to lift ourselves out of that quicker. And that meant we were able to advance faster. Uh, and now we're at a point where uh, we have people just coming up with ideas. We've created a culture where everyone feels valued. Uh, everyone has a say in a meaningful way, not just say, you know, oh, yeah, I listen to my employees. No, everyone is part of a team uh, that we have assistance in place through EOS and uh, other systems. And they feel appreciated and heard. And, you know, I really liked... Um, at a conference, there was a discussion about um, chief heart officer, right, uh, with cloud. And uh, we're big believers in that mindset. So we're constantly asking how they're doing, uh, asking for about the personal lives, not in an intrusive way, but just making sure they're doing okay. And if they're not, we say, hey, why don't you, uh, why don't you go take the day off? Uh, we, we can handle these things, uh, and we have good task systems. So we know what they're doing. Now, how do you relate to t the team versus family metaphor formatic team or family team? And how do you manage enforcement? All of this altruism, taking care of your people, 
culture, et cetera, that has to be balanced with accountability for there not to be permissiveness. There's a fundamental difference between permissiveness and toleration and intentionally and proactively leaning into human thriving. How do, how do you think about balancing the, the care with enforcing accountability around the things that are necessary to help the team thrive? Hmm. The, for a while, I think like most companies, when they're going through hiring their first couple of staff, that's a challenge. Uh, and I'll preface this by saying, Jordan, that one of the things that I told myself I would do differently when I left my big company that we built, you know, a large corporation, uh, and started brand new from scratch, you know, employees count to one, is I said, I'm going to have good accountability. I'm going to have good KPIs and metrics. Uh, I'm going to analyze what's happening. I'm going to track and I'm going to make sure we build a team that has all these features and we're going to document our processes. And in reality, once you get going on your own, it didn't matter that I'd open up a bunch of offices, uh, you know, before and start over multiple times in a sense. Um, it didn't work out. Uh, not from lack of skill or desire, but when you're in the trenches, sometimes you only have so many hours in the day and you get pulled in different directions. Uh, so that said, as soon as possible, we start to look at task management software. I think that's a big thing for accountability to me. Uh, I'm a data nerd. And in fact, from, from at it comes from the words formula and automatic. You wow. figure out the right formulas, do A-B testing. I'm a big believer in A-B testing of different things. Uh, and then the results, the optimal results that can happen in that environment happen automatically. So... We started off with early task systems, right? Early on was Excel, <laughs> and then we graduated to Trello. When Trello first came out, I hopped right on that. Uh, there was a few things I tried beforehand, um, like Evernote and things, if you may remember Evernote. Uh, and uh, so we did Trello, and then we looked at a lot of other options, uh, HubSpot and Salesforce and uh, all these other things. And in the end, I ended up uh, several years ago going with ClickUp. Uh, it was between ClickUp and Monday. Uh, so ClickUp is fantastic task management software. And accountability to us, how we work as a team is we keep it clean uh, and we keep it organized and we hold each other accountable and say, look, you have to follow this process. We notice you're not following that. Let me, let's talk about how that made it a little hard for us. Can you explain what happened? Why aren't you using it mm -hmm. the way that we trained mm -hmm. uh, and Which that makes is, a difference. That's an important conversation. Now, this is interesting to me. So I'm, I'm clearly talking to a process nerd and you, you clearly w wear the nerd badge with honor. You're, you're not, you're not shy about it here all in. Uh, I love that. So when I think about the process conversation, what's interesting to me is that it's first and foremost, not a tech conversation. What people want it to be is tech. And this is the commodification that exists in any significant major space, whether we're talking about environmentalism or growth. The best growth conversation is about values, vision, strategy. But what growth gets commodified into is leads. I just need more leads. The process, the system design, the thoughtfulness of how work can flow through an organization, the intersection of rich ideas like the theory of constraints, et cetera, 
that's a really interesting conversation. What, what it gets commodified down to is, oh, you use ClickUp? That's the one? Can, can, you, can you give me your templates, et cetera? Which is a worthless conversation because it misses the bigger picture. The right conversation is software agnostic. When you have the vision and the right thinking figured out, you insert the software. And the reality is all of the softwares that you mentioned will work. Absolutely. And I run a workflow company and I'm comfortable saying that. They'll all work if you have the right big picture vision of what you're trying to accomplish. And part of that is the staff conversation. There's different flavors. Sometimes there's the the B-52 approach, the long range bomber where the, bo- the boss from 10,000 feet says, hey, we're using XYZ platform. I just paid for an annual subscription. Go figure it out. There's the hands-on micromanager that's like super anal retentive, builds like overly advanced nuanced processes and is very enforcement driven. You will do this. This is how it is. I'm the boss. I said so. What you articulated is a conversation that's an interplay of like, hey, I noticed, so an observation, sans judgment, a, a question, why? Maybe the process wasn't great. It's tweakable. It's, it's, it's changeable. Can you give me feedback? That empowered intersection on a frontline basis, I feel like is one of the key constituent ingredients in actually having this go well, pushing in the organization, getting buy-in, because it's, it's it is fundamentally a moving target. The fantasy with entrepreneurship is I'll get the company perfect and then I won't have problems and I'll be happy. The reality is I keep creating the problems. I'm a, I'm not a firefighter. I'm actually an arsonist. And with processes, I just got to get them stable. Once I get my processes figured out, then it'll run great. The reality is until you choose to embrace complete stasis, that doesn't happen. You keep embracing them. So the question is, how do you be resilient to upgrade them? What are the other soft skills, the technology agnostic ingredients that you believe are important to embrace and to to get the full value from a process-driven culture? So I think it starts from from even before day one is the hiring process is that I'm not big on trying to hire someone who's a tech genius, right? I'm more concerned about the softer skills of being able to handle challenging situations with grace, with diplomacy, and with tact. Uh, I'm looking for grit. Grit is a big word in our company. Uh, the Angela Duckworth kind of grit? Was that the kind of grit we're talking about? From Have you read the, the book, Grit? No, but I will. Okay. Just <laughs> check it out. All right. I will do that. In my mind, that, there's actually, there's like a grit formula that, that uh, kind of describes a combination of resilience, et cetera, people's willingness to go, you know, how many times can you get knocked down and get back up? That's kind of, that's the shorthand I think of uh, as grit. What does grit mean to you? That, that's exactly what we mean. Uh, the ability to persevere, to keep going, to recognize that there's going to be crap times. When I was younger, I I read a quote, and it's been so impactful. I don't know where it came from, uh, but it basically said that work ethic is the ability – work ethic and the ability to achieve a dream is fundamentally about the ability to keep going when you've lost the desire to do so. And if you keep going, it will come back. Uh, Now, of course, Mm. there's a variation Mm. of that. We all know that you also need to be introspective enough to recognize that, you know what? That feeling's never coming back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe I'm on the wrong path. Uh, I teach this to my children. I teach it to my staff. I teach it to everybody that, uh, you know, passion comes and goes. In relationships, passion can ebb and flow. It's a natural flow to life. Uh, and there's a mentality 
I remember learning about this in in college, and it was just talking about different mentalities at one point uh, through different cultures. And in the United States, we often have this happiness culture. And now I grew up in a religion where it, where it said the object and design of our existence is happiness. And everything's about happiness. But in old Europe, especially kind of the old Germanic uh, viewpoint, uh, at one point, it was not about trying to find happiness and being happy and high on these endorphins all the time. It was about finding fulfillment in a job well done that you didn't need to be smiling. You don't say, whoa, smile more. No, it's do you feel like you've done your part, your role, whatever that may be, uh, and have you done it well? And that brings a kind of inner satisfaction. That's what I'm looking for. People have grit. People can keep going. People who understand that, you know what? And, and I tell my, my people too, when someone comes to me or when I see that they're struggling, I don't sit there and be like, oh, hey, Jordan, you just got to be a little happier. Be more positive, you know, just just set your goals and just achieve them. I'm not that kind of a rah-rah person, so maybe that's partly why I can't do that. Uh, but I do say, hey, Jordan, that really sucks. I know it is so tough right now. You got this person threatening us with a lawsuit through no fault of your own. You had this happen, and I'm sorry about that thing in your personal life. Man, life can really suck sometimes. What can I do to help? What can we do to help you move forward? And that, A, that goes back to letting them know that we care. It lets them know I'm not trying to help them be the happiest person. I'm trying to help them feel good about moving forward. Uh, and then when the hiring process, going back to the hiring process, that's what I'm looking for. I am asking those questions of, you know, I don't want to know what your biggest failure was. Everyone's going to lie about that anyways or, or things. But I want to hear about what are some of your biggest challenges? How did you overcome them? And I know that they may embellish them. Look, human nature, they're trying to get a job. I get it. But I'm looking to see the key things. Not that they come out a hero, but I'm looking to see their mindset through it. That's the important part. And so when we go back to the software and the systems, and I am a system agnostic in general too. I don't, other than for to uh, poke a bear, I never get into like Mac versus PC or Apple versus Android. I I don't do that. And Monday versus ClickUp versus uh, HubSpot versus Sonic. Like you start with what you want in mind, it has to accomplish it, and then stick with one thing and stick with it for as long as possible because changing just makes it harder. And so going back to the staff and the systems, the one thing I'll say about the software and the systems is that it does have to be easy enough for the staff that you have. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't hire people to be techies. I don't hire them to be systems experts. I hire them to have that grit, to have that perseverance, to be able to keep going. And when someone's struggling in a hard time in their life and things seem to be falling apart in the properties or things like that, you know, Murphy's Law, it all hits at once or trouble comes in three, right? Uh, I don't want them to be like, how do I do that on the system? Oh, is, is, is Matt going to be upset? that, uh, or is Sally going to be upset that I didn't get this in right? Stupidly simple. And then all the hard work has to be on the back end by people who it's not their job. Uh, sorry, uh, by done in a way so that the people on the front end, they don't have to have to worry about how complicated it is. So, so the people on the front end are, are effectively consumers. 
And it's That's management, right. it's you, whoever, somebody behind the scenes that is taking the non-nuanced feedback of like, it's broke, it doesn't do X, Y, Z, and translating that into a change in logic, structure, et cetera. That's right. The only thing we have front-facing staff doing to improve it is commenting about how it can be better. And then we have flow charts that we use that build into a lot of these things. Uh, and so then we look at the flow chart and we say, okay, how can how did this happen? And we ask for the input and then we adapt the flowcharts and then we use the flowcharts to adjust the software to what we need. One of the things that's interesting to me in this space, I was talking to somebody yesterday that was a, a former employee actually that was asking me about some questions about their attempts to build a CRM in another vertical. It's outside of property management. They're asking about challenges, pros and cons. And one of the things that I articulated or explained to them was the idea of an object in software. An object is a is a specific thing. It's like if you have a set of Legos, most of the Legos are little incremental pieces that can be built to do all sorts of things. They're generic, they're agnostic. There's a small number of pieces that are molded for a very specific purpose. They can't be meant to do a lot of things, but they can do one thing really well. An object is something that is tailored to the use case. It was a commitment by the architects of the software to customize a part of the software for a specific use case. So for example, here in property management, the vendors that in this space might have an object in their software for the property. The property is like a, it's a central paradigm in real estate and property management that would be obvious if you're building for this use case. If you didn't build for this use case, it's not as obvious. And so you're contorting something else to kind of act as the property. If you could wave a magic wand and you could think about changes that would be made to the vendors, the data paradigm in this space, what would you like to see happen? Uh, and how do you interact with using softwares that, that were maybe not necessarily tailor built for all the real estate specific use cases? Do you ever see, feel any of the, the friction of limitations that come from that? In general, I think myself, many in the industry uh, feel that there's right now a fracturing or kind of a, almost a, uh, ever-increasing fractal uh, approach to the software in the property management industry. Uh, there seems to be more and more vendors targeting uh, everybody. And there's this thing, I, I, look, when I started in 2009, we were using Tenepro. Uh, Tenepro which didn't even have internet access. We had to tunnel, you know, we had to use GoToMeeting, the early versions and uh, access it if we want to do it from a separate office. Uh, we then moved to property where when it was still fairly new, uh, that was a revelation at that point. Yeah, when Cena was running it. <laughs> uh, and uh, it was amazing being able to access it from anywhere. It just blew us away. And <laughs> the uh, and that was it. There was no other software, right? You use Excel for anything else mm -hmm. that you needed. Yeah, you took what you were given. Be grateful. <laughs> That's right. Uh, there were no vendors that serviced pro residential property managers. We were the ugly stepchild still at that point. Mm. Uh, and around 2013-ish, start to see a few vendors enter in. And uh, DoorGrow, 4.5, 
uh, a couple other companies. Uh, Rently started around that time too. Uh, and it was people just poking around in the dark. But there's only a few, and frankly, most managers were very suspicious. We're like, someone wants to talk to us? <laughs> us lowly PMs? It's like, there must be like a scam or something. I don't know. Uh, so, so that was interesting. And there's a lot of distrust and a lot of like, this will never work uh, because we all had our own way of doing things. Right. Um, so then around 2015, around this time I started Formatic, you start to see just really start to increase. And then 2016, 2017, oh my goodness, is like the year of property management integrations. Uh, and now we have hundreds of people in some way. There's the ones that come to conferences, but I'm constantly looking. Every week I set aside about half an hour just to see what's out there, poke around, not necessarily for the property management industry, but in general and see what might be able to adapt. Um, and there's so many ones out there. And I think that's the big pain point now is we went from having nothing to having so many choices and they don't really talk to each other for the mm. most part. And so, yeah, right now there's a weekly thing going on uh, in the industry where people are trying to do these things about like processes, automations, integrations, Zapier and, and stuff like that. But yeah, it's, it's expensive. And by the way, now we have vendors who are saying, let's, uh, let us help you do your Zapier for 5, 10, 15, 20,000. And so I think that's the biggest issue is, you know, people crap on Appfolio. Appfolio is to me, uh, and there's a manager that many of us know, his name is or uh, Todd Orchide, big Apple fan, and he hates on Appfolio. Hit on this yesterday, I was in a conversation with him. And someone was making the relation relation to Appfolio. So Appfolio is like like uh, like an iPhone. Like it just has everything. You can't do a lot with it that you want customized, but you can do it. So now I'm good. I told him I'm going to always call his. Uh, I'm always going to call his iPhone the Appfolio phone. Uh, but you know what? I use Appfolio, and I'm a power user on a lot of stuff. I hate that it doesn't have an API proper. It doesn't have a proper API. Uh, there's only. A, Right now, I think the big things are coming in are going to be the big central players who are going to make it as easy as possible to pull in these services with as little thinking as possible. Going back to the fact to how we try to not have forward-facing staff have to figure out how to do any back-end things. Right now, all the property managers are trying to do the forward are trying to do the back-end, you know, Integromat, Zapier through five, 10, 15, 20 things, or they're paying obscene amounts of money. And they don't even know, Jordan, what it is they need. I was listening to an to, um, interview just last week with someone who had like 4,000 doors and they're talking about how they had their custom system in, in Salesforce. Really great guy. How much did he spend on it? Over a million dollars. I, I heard that too. And it's not even fully integrated. That is a case of someone not knowing what they're doing. They don't have the objective in mind. But it sounds sexy. It sounds sexy. But really, when I heard the dollar amount and it wasn't even fully integrated after years, I was like, that is a nightmare. And that is what all these smaller managers are facing right now in a, their own little quiet microcosm of hell because they need system, a system that does it all. Now, we have some software, com not we, but in the industry, we have software coming out like RentFind that's promising to be more open, be more integrated, and be plug and play. And that's going to be the key. That's where the industry needs to head. That's where I believe the issue is. Rest of friction. 
there's very little plug and play because we were ignored. Now we had an explosion of options and now we have to have it be plug and play. Uh, how much, here's a question, two questions. Number one, in software, they say bitching ain't switching. Love to crap on Appfolio, yet people switching off? No. In mass? No. Yeah. Definitely not happening. Might happen in the future. Potentiality, not happening currently. What would it take for you to jump off? Knowing that, you're not taking your historical data with you. All the whiz-bang new tech, nobody's doing a historical port. You're starting over. So not only is it painful, but there's some some data loss, and you know you're not going to pay for both accounts to have access to that. It's fundamentally painful. What would it take for you to to switch off and jump off of the mothership of Appfolio? So the big thing to me, uh, being a data nerd and being uh, focused on those things, is definitely accounting. I mean, my accounting has to be solid. So I'm waiting for Redvine to be mature enough on accounting. Now, keep in mind, I'm in California. They're kind of strict on a lot of things. Uh, they fine you $5,000 in an audit, per instance, for nonsense stuff. Like, oh, we noticed that your check was deposited after four days instead of three days for the resident. So there's a fine. Uh, so plug and play, I say, is important. But number one importance is always accuracy of data, uh, integrity of data. Yeah, you know, hey, Jordan, I get it with the data not being able to transfer over. We acquire uh, companies here and there, uh, and most of them use Epfolio. Uh, and we use Epfolio. And you think that'd be easy. It's not. Their idea of a transition team at Epfolio is to dump it all into a spreadsheet that has like 10,000 plus cells. They say, Jordan, here's all the data. Look this over. Tell us if this looks right. It's like, you know, it's 10,000 fields. And you're like, oh, yeah. And then when you there's a problem after the import, they're like, well, we gave it to you to look over. I mean, look, that's a bunch of nonsense, right? That, that is hell uh, to me. Uh, so the, and it doesn't include when you're acquiring a company and you're moving them from FLO to your system, whatever, even to another FLO. There, it doesn't include any of the attachments, photos, leases. It's not anything. a true account merge. Yeah. So I'd say that we've already developed our systems through through those headaches. Every time we went into it, we created our flow charts. Here's how you transfer that folio to that folio. Here's how you transfer this to that. We created if this, then that uh, statements. And now we know how to quickly do it. And I could have my 11-year-old now run through that and transfer the data. Ultimately, it takes work, right? If you're going to switch systems, it's going to take work. So am I worried about losing the data? No, I'll get it anyways. It's just going to take the work. Now, what would it take me to switch? Rentvine just has to... Rentvine already has my business and I haven't even signed up. If they keep with their commitments, once their accounting is to the level that I believe it'll be, then I'll go there. Or if someone else gets it, maybe Appfolio comes out with a true API. In which case? I'll say, I'll never leave. Right. Uh, because, yeah, bitching ain't switching. Right. So I can bitch about different problems. But if they give me what I want and they're not going to charge me an obscene amount of money that makes it not worth it, then I'm going to stick around. Well, there was there was several million dollars of free consulting for Appfolio. I hope you guys are listening at home. <laughs> Uh, Matt, we got to end it there. This was great. I could have gone for on for several more hours. I appreciate the thoughtfulness that you're applying specifically around the systems. I, I assume you're in conversation with others, but I think it's a really rich conversation to think about, to, to embrace this paradigm of being a techie 
having those chops, but to not be so married to it that you can't step back and realize that it's really a bigger conversation that's required to get the benefit from that tech. So I think that's interesting. I appreciate the vision that you have and that you're putting yourself out there, making commitments, promises, exposing your vision and being vulnerable, knowing that at the end of the day, the vision is it's all made up. It's all in your head. But if you steward it and you believe it long enough, it will infect other people and it starts to come true. So I salute you with what you're doing, man. Thanks for coming on. Hey, I appreciate you having me on, Jordan. Thank you. All right. It's a pleasure. Until next time. Jordan here asking you, what do you got? What is a question you want to ask me? Can you stump me? Can you throw me something hard, perplexing, vexing, something you feel tied up in knots with? Throw it at me. I'll do my best to try and answer that question, to dissect it, to parse out the nuance and maybe help you get a bit more clarity. I'm looking for questions as the basis for creating content and you're looking for answers as the basis for clarity and wouldn't it be perfect if those two things matched up? Drop a comment, send me, send me an email, jordan at leadsimple.com. Let's stay in the conversation. Peace.